successful world through education. Each week we bring you a new idea, however big and bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, appease, or remix education. Now here's your host and my dad, Ryan Scott. We are back to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome to my old listeners, my new listeners. Um, if you are just joining us or if you are one of the, are one of the regular listeners, um, I just want to say before we get going, thank you for hitting click and hitting play. We really appreciate it. This is episode 46 I'm pretty excited. Actually, I've been very excited about this one because I get to interview, uh, get to talk with a um, another guy that is from the amazing state of Kentucky. Um, I have the pleasure of meeting this guy through the Teach Better team, um, our uh, weekly Tuesday mastermind sessions. Um, I met this guy, I don't know, five, six months ago, and I'm really excited because he hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, which I spent about five months in during my wandering years. Um, and I'm, I'll tell you, like, it, Louisville is that one town that probably my wife would actually agree to drop everything and move to. Um, she went to school there. I live there. It's just a really cool town. So I'm really excited to introduce all of the listeners out there to my good buddy. His name is Trevor Tinderburge. He is a past actually he is a former commissioned officer in the army national guard um, but also while he does this he is the assistant principal at trinity high school in louisville he is a former middle school ela t- teacher a former lacrosse coach a former college lacrosse player and professional lacrosse player um, and he is passionate about student voice and empowering young leaders. So without further ado, Trevor, thank you for coming on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I, uh, I really appreciate it. I know my last name is a mouthful, but Timmerberg. Timmerberg. I go, you my know bad. what? I go by Mr. T at school. So we can pity the fool on that one. <laughs> um, and yeah, there is no video on this, but I, I promise you, Mr. T does not have any bling around his neck. Um, <laughs> no, does not. Um, so Trevor, thank you. I apologize, um, for, um, butchering your last name. Oh, it's all good. I've been called worse. I promise. I hear you. Um, so, uh, Trevor, <laughs> you are from the wonderful city of Louisville. Um, before we jump into this episode, what's your favorite thing about living in Louisville? Favorite thing about living in Louisville. Um, I grew up in Kansas city, uh, Kansas, and my mother was from St. Louis, and I always loved when we visited her family in St. Louis. She's one of, you know, several children, and about half of her siblings still live there along with her dad, and when in St. Louis, my dad used to always joke, when they ask you what school you went to, they're not referring to the college, they're referring to the high school, and I think uh, Louisville is very similar in that yeah. aspect, yeah. is that it is, it is this big, small city where everyone knows everyone you can't go anywhere without running into someone you know or a friend of a friend and i like that i like that tight-knit community um and the bond of of the people that live here because you know we're all in this together and you definitely feel that enmeshed within the culture and the vibrant uh personality of the city yeah it's a very cool town and um i know we we you know there are going to be people that are listening to this episode from all around the united states and there are very um i've heard different ways of saying the city name some say louisville some say louisville some say there's another one louisville louisville i don't know there's there's all kinds of different ways but it is louisville and that's how the kentuckians say it (laughs) you're right on all right so um all right so we're gonna get rolling like i have been doing uh i don't know about 10 episodes or so i just want my listeners to get a real quick uh, peek into the world that is the Scots. And so uh, this weekend at my house, Stella Rose, who uh, is now 10, she had her friend birthday party. 
And so there was Stella, there was Hazel, there was Amelia. Those are our three daughters. But also Stella decided she was going to have four of her own friends. So, um, yeah, we had seven kids at our house. Uh, my wife took the older ones ice skating. I took my younger daughters to the museum. Then we met back up for some ice cream, came home and had pizza and some other stuff. And so that's what we did this weekend. Um, it was a man. It was a beautiful weekend here. Um, leaves are starting to change. It's like that perfect time of year. Um, so yeah, it was a really, really good weekend. Um, Trevor, what did you do this weekend? Oh, this weekend. So we had the annual Trinity and St. X rivalry, rivalry game at yeah, Cardinal Stadium. Uh, Trinity did not come out on top, which is a rare occasion, um, <laughs> sort of a rebuilding year, but that's okay. Everyone's still still for Shamrock's take and state. Um, Saturday, I ha- had some students up at school for the first part of the day, and then um, my girlfriend and I were training for Ironman Indiana, which is oh, actually cool. uh, next Saturday which is a terrible decision. I would never do it. But um, so we had a long run yesterday, um, follow, or followed by some homework last night. And then we had uh, church this morning and a long swim this afternoon. And then we've been both, we're both getting our, our doctorate. She's getting her PhD in urban education. Oh, wow. And then I am That's getting awesome. my doctorate in leadership at uh, Spalding University. So we've been grinding away at some homework the whole second half of the day just trying not to go crazy, but, uh, so not quite as exciting as, a uh, as seven, um, little tykes running around, um, running around the household, but, um, equally as eventful, I'm sure. Yeah. I would say equally as eventful is, is exactly right. Um, so Trevor, I know, you know, you have listened to this show, so you are aware that one of my favorite segments is the two for two. Um, that's where I get mm-hmm. to ask you two, you get to ask me too. And it's, uh, my way of modeling, just that idea of connections before content. So uh, my friend, Mm -hmm. I have some questions to ask you, and then you are going to turn around and ask me. Um, Sounds good to you? Send it. Let's do it. All right, man. So finish this sentence in five years. In five years. So it'd be 2026. That's crazy. Yeah, 2026. Wow. In five years, before my first name will be the two letters DR, period, mm-hmm. um, I will be the principal of a school. I will have a wife and kids, and I will be continuing to pursue faith, my faith, service, leadership, and empowering others in whatever capacity I can, in all the capacities that I can, through education, at home, uh, through the military, and so on? It's a very good answer. Um, I like that question. I'm going to have my students do that one. Okay, okay. So um, do you mind if I ask, how old are you, bud? I will be 32 in October 16th. So I'm like just under two weeks away from my birthday. Okay. 32nd birthday. You'll be 37 in five years. Correct. Okay. So I'm going to warn you, you may have some gray hair. Actually, I got a haircut today and I have a couple gray hairs that come in on the side over here, which I'm infinitely proud of because I think they look dignified and distinguished. I I agree. Look, um, yeah, there was a time. (laughs) No, I agree. There was a time when I could cut my hair really short and the gray would go away. Um, That is not the case anymore. So but hey, like you said, embrace it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, next question. If you could go back in time 10 years, okay, so you're 32 now. So if you could go back to 22 mm-hmm. and tell yourself mm-hmm. something, what would you say? Uh, if I could go back to 22, I would say probably if I'm thinking education related, I got no, a master's. It doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking in general. Because what advice that my dad probably gave me, but I thought I was too smart for him at the time, which <laughs> yeah. I understand I'm not. Right. <laughs> um, right. I would say uh, stay with my education as far as graduate schools, because I got a master's when I was still playing in, uh, in school because I had a red shirt year of eligibility. So I'd say stay that. I, I finished that then, but then I got a master's in education that I just finished and I started my doctorate. 
I would love to have been done with all my education before I was 30. So I would say, stay the course there, just keep doing it until it's over. I would say, keep pursuing the marginalized um, students and people yeah. that uh, God has given me a heart for. Um, and that was started out in Jefferson County Public School system, which is where I you know, fell in love with teaching. I would say do that. I would say uh, choose the people in my life for the right reasons, mm -hmm. not just because I think that is what I should have or what I should be doing. And I would say stay the course. God's got more in store for me. Yeah, we were uh, talking off air before we hit the button. Um, and yeah, we talked a lot about, um, you know, letting letting God lead us um, and looking back the um, the places that we were at at that time were definitely for a reason. And uh, yeah, definitely, man. Um, if I was to think about what, you know, 10 years for me, um, 10 years ago, let's see, I was 30. Um, I did not take 30 very well. Um, my 20s were not a good decade. Um, there was a lot of just being lost and not knowing where I was supposed to be and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. 30 was tough for me. Um, but at the same time, I was just getting married. Um, my daughter was eight. Um, I was coaching high school soccer, um, coaching select soccer. Um, I was a elementary teacher. And, and I'll be honest, actually, I had this conversation with a friend today. I would have told myself to slow down. Um, be where my feet are. I was thinking chill out. Yeah, chill out. <laughs> right? Be where my yeah. feet are. Um, definitely spend more time with my oldest daughter. Um, now that she's at college, mm -hmm. I can say that. Um, but yeah, that, that's a good, it's a good question to reflect. Um, mm -hmm. So Trevor, let's, uh, let's flip the script. What two do you have for me? So I have two questions. I also have a backup question because <laughs> I, I like to think of myself as your greatest supporter and encourager within this podcast. Cause I, I love the podcast and I always share and retweet it because I think the value you're adding here is so significant and important that it should be spread among teachers, educators, uh, administration all over. But also Man, I appreciate that. I know that you're a soccer guy, yep. a coach, former coach. So first question starts with, do you watch Ted Lasso? No. Oh no. You need to, oh, this would be, you and your wife would love it. You and, and I've uh, heard of your it. kids would love it. Yeah. Some of the, some of the content and it gets a little bit adult as far as language and scenarios, but it, it, it's very wholesome. Okay. Um, but Ted Lasso is a fantastic show. I was going to ask you which character you like the best or which one you identify with the best, but I, that, that could be a good homework assignment. Okay, good thing you, you brought the back watching, Yeah, watching Ted Lasso, but I know you're a morning grinder and you like yes. to get after it in the gym. What is the favorite exercise that you like to do and why do you like it so much? Okay, so my favorite, favorite exercise um, is the burpee. Um, mm. It is very easy to hate. Um, when I was a Love high school eight. soccer coach, my girls knew like burpees, we were doing them for like everything. Um, but it's like the perfect exercise. Like it, it is a full body exercise. Um, I, I, I heard once uh, like one burpee is equal to one calorie burned. Um, mm. And it's, it's just, it's, it's a great because it, it works on your hip mobility. Mm. It works on, you know, you can do the push up with it and it's so versatile. Like you can do burpee pull-ups. Um, you can add a burpee to pretty much anything and um, they suck. They suck for a reason though. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a love hate relationship. I appreciate that about you because it tells me a lot about who you are as a, a human being, your character, um, because you're willing to do the hard thing because of the cost benefit of it. Yeah. The payoff in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. Um, okay. Second question. And I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say, because I know your background with elementary ed is long, mm -hmm. uh, along with the secondary education, but if you could teach any subject to any grade level, what would it be and why? And with this, the caveat is it doesn't have to be a subject that's already taught in schools. You can make up it. You can make up the subject yourself. What do you think kids need to learn the most 
and what grade would you teach it to? Okay. Um, so I'm going to fall back to <clears throat> one of my major passions, um, and that's phonics. Um, mm. I'll, I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest here. So I'm going to geek out a little bit. There is this standard that is in pretty much K through six, and it's about um, decoding multisyllabic words. Um, there's always the standard. I've always seen it, but there's never really been a good way that I have seen for kids to be able to decode multisyllabic words. Um, so when I was in the classroom, I created um, this kind of uh, a strategy to be able to identify the different phonemes. Um, so if you, if you have a phonics background, you know that there are like 44 or 45 phonemes that make up the English language. And um, there was a time when kids were taught to read by using strictly phonics. Um, so if a kid you know, was to see a word and they were to see the letters EW, um, kids knew that it, it, it said ooh, or if they saw um, O-U-G-H-T, it was ought. Um, but we've drifted away from that. Well, we did for a little while. It's starting to swing back uh, to this whole language thing. And there's a problem with whole language. Um, whole language assumes that kids are read to. And what mm. you and I both know is that 50% <clears throat> of all of the kids that come to us in kindergarten are not ready for kindergarten, primarily because they are not read to. And there's this uh, word gap that um, a language gap that, you know, people just do not talk to them in some mm. households. So kids don't get the luxury of, of lap time and um, whole language assumes that kids are read to so that they can memorize the sounds that that's not the case for 50% of our kids. Um, so if I was to teach to anybody, it would be to teach um, kids K through 12 um, just a crash course, 12 week crash course on phonics, um, what all of the phonemes um, were, um, the different ways, you know, to, to spell A, E, I, O, and U, um, because if they were to be able to do that, they could decode words significantly better, their spelling would increase, um, their, I guess their comfort level of reading would increase, um, Literacy is a big deal, and I don't think, um, I think we have, and I'm going to say that something that might be a little controversial, but that's okay, because this is my show. We have let, <laughs> yeah, we have let um, textbook companies take control of how we teach our kids instead of mm -hmm. maybe what is the best way to teach our kids. So I hope I answered your question. I think it did. I think uh, both of your answers were incredibly revealing of where your heart is, and um, kind of the root of some of your passions, which is um, doing the hard thing, even though uh, it is the hard thing to, to have the, the most uh, payoff in the end. And then also looking at this, I had to write it down. So sorry if you saw me taking notes, but the decoding of multi-syllabic syllabic, syllabic words. Yes. Yeah. See, I need some help too. I could use that. And then, um, but looking at the root of the cause. So we read a book recently for my cohort in my program and it was upstream. Yeah. So you're looking at yeah. swimming upstream to trying to fix the system that creates the problem so that we can, you know, redirect the water to go in the right, to go where we need it to, as opposed to just trying to, to uh, bucket water from one stream to the next, we're going to go redirect it from the source. Listen, man, I could have, I could do a whole podcast with multiple episodes of the way that I would like to reshape um, just mm. kindergarten. If we were just to talk about kindergarten and the things that should be taught in mm. kindergarten versus what is presently being taught in kindergarten and the ramifications. Um, yeah, but maybe you can come on again and we'll talk about that. <clears throat> You'll educate me, you mean. I will educate you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Uh, all right, Trevor, so let's get rolling, because uh, this is all about you. This is not about me. Um, obviously, you have got a whole heck of a lot to say, and I want to make sure that we have plenty of time for the listeners out there to hear the awesomeness that, that comes from you. Um, 
the question, you know this, the question that I love to ask people in the very beginning is how education found Trevor. Um, so how did it find you, man? I like how you shaped that question too, because I feel like I kind of backed my way into education. I was not a great student uh, growing up. I, I didn't enjoy school. I think um, I probably could have been labeled as a little bit of ADHD, but I think Guilty. I just had a lot of energy. Yeah, I just had a lot of energy and I didn't know how to um, shift it in the right direction or harness it when I needed to. Um, I was the kid that volunteered to read in uh, early elementary school, but didn't know, how to, but, but wasn't able to read. <laughs> so a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, maybe not necessarily all the credentials I needed at the time. Um, but education found me because I feel like God has put on my heart to to live with a, a distinct purpose and yeah. a passion towards serving others, lifting others up, uh, trying to educate others so that um, they're able to achieve and improve themselves infinitely more than they think they're capable of, um, kind of lift them on the shoulders of myself, so to say, uh, learn from all my mistakes, learn from everything that I have I've been done and gone through and all that so that they could be even better. Um, and I think when someone asked me or posed to me the question of, well, if you could do anything, what would you do? And I said, be a teacher. As soon as it came out of my mouth, it was like, what? <laughs> I didn't even enjoy school that much. I didn't really read for pleasure in, you know, for my, for my own pleasure until college. And, um, but I think it has been the absolute, uh, it, it's been the absolute best thing for me as far as pursuing who, God has made me to be, and it's a little bit serendipitous in the sense that um, I think I was I think I was made to be a teacher. I've yeah. been a leader uh, in several different capacities um, throughout my life, mostly in athletics at a, at an early age, but then even as a as an older adult in some other areas as well. And I think at the foundation of leadership is the ability to communicate and to educate others, whether that's on an idea, on a vision, uh, on tactical skills or strategic overview. Um, but I think education found me because God knew that I needed to be in a position where I could impact and influence and help people and those next generation of leaders following behind us. And if, if you look at a school, that's exactly what that is. It is the future leaders of our generation or the next generation in our country and the world. And we are so blessed and privileged to be able to, uh, you know, sow our seeds of, of, of wisdom, I should say. Wisdom just meaning our experience and lessons learned. Um, and so that is, how I believe, how education found me. I kind of came in the back door. Um, I had to take a crash course on the GRE. Didn't do a great job on it. They let me in anyways. And um, I excelled really well while I was in the program. And, and then beyond with, you know, a couple other degrees after that. And I'm in one right now. Um, but when I talk to my students about how um, I, I'm not in education because I care so much about um the content of Amen. the content of school, but I care yep. about the content of the people in the seats. Yep. So that's how education found me. So a couple things about that that I absolutely, absolutely, absolutely love. First, you didn't enjoy school and you maybe had ADD. Um, I love that because um, I know your heart and I know kind of your answer that we're going to talk about a little bit later. So I think the the simple fact that you were that type of kid helps you identify with that type of kid, if that makes sense. Um, and then what I love, 100%. love so much, um, you see education kind of as I do, like, and you said it exactly there, like, you're not in it for the content, you're not in it because you loved ELA, um, you are in it because, lack of a better word, um, like, we can change the world with education, and you wanted to be on the front lines of changing kids, um, not so much through the academics, but through, like you said, service and through leadership and, and through all of those, um, you know, buzzword now is soft skills. But um, yeah, that's awesome. So, okay. Okay. Let's jump into this. What is the problem of education that we um, are, or that you are going to tackle or you want to tackle? To sum it up, I would say labeling of students. Yep. And I think this is a double-edged sword. Um, I've done some recent uh, peripheral, uh, you know, peripheral research on Rosenthal's theory, the Pygmalion effect. But what we sew into our students, the labels that we sew into our students with how we identify them 
has a lasting impact on who they are now and what they are capable of becoming. Um, are you familiar with with uh, John Maxwell? He's kind of like a leadership guru. Yeah. He yeah. used to be a pastor yeah, for, for church, sure. written a for sure. you know, a couple hundred books. I get his and, email uh, every day. He, oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah. he is um, so insightful with what he has to say. But but I, I steal this from him. He he said something like, "I'm, I'm going to butcher it," but he said, "If you treat everyone and you you stamped a ten out of ten on their forehead and you treated a lot of them like that, imagine what they're capable of becoming." I find myself uh, dealing mostly with with discipline. So this reactionary discipline that gets uh, brought to me as an assistant principal, I find myself with dealing with some of the labels that students that are coming to my office or families that come into my office and we have these conversations, we're dealing with the labels that have been stuck on students for a while. Um, and I work with my other counterpart in the building and, and you know several of the teachers around the around the school i'm not i'm not the, alone in this but we're working to to reshape and recultivate the labels that we put on our students because i i firmly believe students will rise to the level of expectation that you put on them as a, you as a coach you as an educator you you completely understand this if you treat a student a human being a human being let's look at that as somebody that is capable of anything you put in front of them and they have all the skills necessary within them or surrounding them to achieve a task or uh, get to an outcome or whatever it may be that's in front of them, the obstacle, they're going to be able to rise to that level because they have someone that is a champion in their corner, someone that believes in them and that their capabilities of performing at that their highest level possible. And I, I just firmly believe that if we if we instill that in students, if we breathe that life into our students, into the human beings around us, because I don't think it's, it's not limited to, um, you know, high school students, middle school students, elementary school students, this is the people in our lives. If we're breathing that life into them, look at the world uh, light up around us in what people are capable of doing. I know that I was not a good reader as a young kid. Like I said before, I still struggle, I think, with the stigma or with the, the self-doubt of uh, reading and it can intimidate me, and I have, I have some you know degrees that would that would argue that I can right. do it just fine. Right. But I I still deal with that, and it wasn't necessarily a teacher or anything like that that uh, did me wrong. But I know that in the inverse side of that, if we can breathe that life into them, imagine what it's capable of becoming. One of the main things I say over and over to, again to the to the young individuals that come in my office and said, uh, I tell them I go, you made a mistake. This mistake does not define, define who me. you are. Yep. Yes. However, your response to this is the definition of who you are and who you're capable of being. And I tell them the great news about that is, is that it is completely up to you. You have, you have complete control over your future because of that. And, and I try to tell them, as I said, I still care about you. I still love you. And I say this in front of their parents, but I want them to hear it too. And the counselors in the room with me is that I still care about you and I still love you and I believe in what you're capable of being and I will not hold this against you. And I think it's so important for them to hear that, but we have a, a, a fear and there's people, especially that old school way of thinking, there's this fear of we cannot have discipline. And what people mean by that is punishment. Yep. We can't have discipline and relationships. Right. And I think that is, is what needs to be shattered. I think um, because of our relationship and our healthy relationships with students, that equates to healthy accountability. I have students that are willing to do things, do the right things, whether I'm present or not, as, as their quote-unquote disciplinarian, because they know I believe in them. Yeah. And it's that healthy teacher-adult-to-student relationship that allows them to believe in themselves because they know I do at least one person. I know there's several other people that do, but I can only control, you know, what I'm capable of controlling. But I think that it, the labels and the um, I, I, the misnomer of you can't have healthy relationships with, with students and healthy accountability. I think they go hand in hand. They, they walk side by side. Um, wow. And so I would say, you, you know, you talk about, I've stolen, I've stolen so many good uh, phrases by you that people before pedagogy, um, you know, content, or uh, yeah, context before content. Um, all those things are, I feel like, embedded within my DNA. But I, I, I think 
a lot of times in discipline, we're not so much focused on the culture, which precedes discipline, yep. right? But we're, we're really looking for compliance when what we want is cooperation. Yep. And, and I feel like that's where, as, as somebody that works as an administrator in a building, my part, a large component of my job is to develop and build and cultivate that culture of, dis, of self-discipline so that we are cooperating together versus just forced compliance from students just doing what I asked because I asked it and I'm, I'm there to punish them if they do not. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, to unpack that. Yeah. That, that labeling of students, um, definitely a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, mm -hmm. you know, if you have kids that are in your office multiple times or, you know, kids, teachers refer to them as, you know, troubled, kids, I mean, they hear it, you know, the teacher doesn't have to say it to their face, but they, they know that they are labeled. They know that they are pegged as, um, as a, as a trouble kid. So I, I think you're exactly right. Just that label, um, has so many negative connotations and, um, I've said it before you, you know, you kind of alluded to it. Um, it is absolutely about the connections and um, I would go as far as it is more so about the psychology than it is the pedagogy. Um, that's mm. the coach and me talking. And I know you, you kind of feel the same way. Um, what kind of labels though? So let's get specific. Like, how do you think kids are labeled? So let's talk about this problem. Like, um, how are kids labeled? So give okay. me some labels. Yeah, I think, sure. I think, uh, Looking in the context of school, I think some of the labels that we have are we have athletic, yep, academic, yep, or um, you know, in college, yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah, designated. Um, I think within the con within the sub context of those two categories, you have the type of athletics, which is telling of, of different people and some personality traits. I think in the sub context of academics, you have. Uh, a variety of levels of difficulty, I should say, as far as um, the courses that they choose. Also, um, you know, even some of the extracurriculars that they choose to do. Sure, but sure. so you have, so you have those as like kind of those, those meta labels. But I also think you have uh, some of the more, I guess, CL version of labels. So you have kind of like uh, the, the empath, right? The empathetic one. You have the ones that, you know, that are more focused on emotions. Uh, you also have the connectors, you know, the kid that can sit with all the different groups at lunch. And I think that's a, a really valuable tool. Um, you have to, to take a turn down the other direction. You have, you know, bullying, right? Either a victim or the, or the kind of the perpetrator of bullying. You have someone that um, has a label of a, a broken home. You have uh, labels of students that just the knucklehead, right? right? And it's, it's, you know, there's a variety of ways of saying that. I used to say that uh, my, my classroom was, was Knucklehead University, but I said it affectionately because yeah. I loved all the knuckleheads in my room because we had a great time. We got a lot done and we didn't take it. We didn't take ourselves too seriously. Um, then I think you have the labels of uh, achievement and success. And I think that comes from the coaches, the teachers, the adults that, that breathe that life into them. But I also think it can be it can be switched, right? Because I think we see a lot of performance anxiety. Yeah. I know I teach at a school with a lot of high level of academic students, students that I mean, these I, I teach students. I'm, I'm blessed to teach these students that are going to be the next CEO of a major company, uh, the next vice president, right? The director of something. We you know the titles are, are endless, but with that comes a lot of pressure, both internalized and externalized, of I have to perform. Um, and I think the, the label of stressed. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it's or, or a failure. And I also think if we flip it back again, you have the, uh, the, the labels that you could say that, you know, of belief, of potential. Um, one of the things that I like to talk about is potential with my students is I like to put that, put that label in their heart of unlimited potential because I'd have no idea what my students are going to be capable of. I want them to surprise me. And if I focus too much on a specific end goal that I think that they can achieve, then 
I'm already creating kind of a glass ceiling for them yeah. or, uh, or narrow parameters for them to focus on. And I'm not, I'm not too self-inflated to think that just because I said it, that's what's going to happen. But I also take my word seriously in the sense of I need to make sure that I am intentional with the words that I am encouraging my students with. Another one is empowered. I don't know what my students are going to do, just like I said, but I want them to feel like they're capable of any of it. Yeah. If they're willing to put in the work hard worker, right? Instead of giving the labels of a student is so smart or, uh, or something that is a fixed goal, I'd like to look at that, you know, the Angela Duckworth growth mindset and that grit where we look at, well, you are so hardworking when you, when you put your mind to it, or you're capable of this when you are collaborating with with the people around you, or you're doing an excellent job communicating, but the label is not so much um, the end result as it is um, a, a stepping stone to what, what comes next for them, right? So if I'm trying to label a student, it's like, hey, you do a great job of communication when you are bringing in your other two group members and asking them to talk, asking them to share ideas with one another, as opposed to just saying, hey, you, you're the best person in the group, right? And then we could look at, um, hey, you are an incredible leader. What does that mean? <laughs> Leadership is an ambiguous term. Yeah, you're an absolutely. incredible leader. You, meaning you lift other people up. You're an incredible leader when, and this is the label that can, that can add value, is that when you're lifting people up around you, when you notice the people that are, are getting marginalized and someone that's sitting alone at lunch and you invite them to your table, or you're an incredible leader when you're taking charge and, and uh, spearheading the task that no one else wants to do. That's how you're setting the example. That's when you're being an incredible leader. And I think when we add labels, we need to add the context that gives them understanding of the label. Because if I were to just say, you're successful, what does that mean? Successful means, you know, in the context of what we're looking at, just like when we're saying they're, they're a good leader, win. Right, right. Okay. So, okay. So labels can be good. Labels can be bad. Um, what is the big idea that you want to bring to our table uh, kind of to attack all of this stuff? Mm -hmm. We look at labels is understanding how one labels have affected us, right? So that some of that self-reflection, because I think we're not fully developed until we can understand how, how we're, you know, we're, adding to the conversation. But, but before we add to the conversation, we understand that. And then when we show up to the conversation, it is how are we as educational leaders, how are we providing value to the relationships with students that we have? Right. So what labels are we putting on students in a way to kind of evaluate what we're doing is, I think be like, if someone were to ask one of your students, what label you give them or what labels you're putting on them, what would they say? And I think that I think that's a good self-assessment tool of how are we trying to fix this? Because we have evaluations as teachers, right? We have evaluations where whether it's every semester, uh, you know, annually or whatever it is, I don't ever see on any of those uh, frameworks, maybe the Danielson framework or wh whatever it is that we're using to assess these things is, how are we encouraging the belief of students in themselves through our classroom or through our content? One of my big uh, research topics that I'm focusing on in my program right now is character education. We assess it, we evaluate it, and we try to, we have programs that incorporate it, but we never really teach students how to be a good person. That's right. Right? It's just expected. It's a normalized uh, expectation that we have. So I would say my approach to this would be we need to find a way to not only evaluate teachers on this because what gets, what gets assessed gets incorporated, right? But we need to find ways to, to give education, educators the tools to feel safety and to feel empowered to lift up and breathe into the students that they have in their classrooms and find content-rich topics that speak to their students and that are relevant to what they enjoy as well as lift them up and empower them through this through the process of their educational journey because you know every every person i've ever met 
is, is in school, you know, K through 12, you know, barring some, you know, external, you know, uh, some outliers there, but we, we have access to these students for, for that period of time. What are we, what do the students have to show for it at the end of it? Do they feel like they are capable of taking on anything in the world after that because of the educators that they had along the way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we talk about this kind of all the time. Um, honestly, if you were to think about it, we see our students sometimes more than their own parents do. Um, and that wasn't always the case, but um, as more and more, well, I'd say most households have two parents that work. Um, you know, I know in my own household, we see our kids maybe an hour a night. Um, by the time, you know, you do baths and cooking and dinner and bed, mm. you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah, I, I do firmly believe that our, uh, that the system should uh, make it a point to churn out just good people, mm -hmm. you know. It, right. I, I devote, I still have the opportunity in my class uh, to teach one class a day. Um, cool. and it's a, it's a seminar class called it's called freshman success oh, cool. uh, essentially yeah, yeah. what i tell the kids yeah i tell the kids that i get to uh it, it's one of my favorite classes to teach because we get to focus on all the intangible skills of yep. education that all the class that you have to do in all your other classes but we get to focus on doing them right here and so uh we have kind of like a character corner i guess that i carve out a time of, of during class where we are focusing on things that pertain to them. So I usually have scenarios or situations that are relevant either within our school or kind of trending uh, in the educational, educational world. And we focus on uh, critical thinking skills, right? Because I think before we learn, you know, uh, certain vocabulary that we may never remember, what are the, what are the critical thinking skills and what are, how do we learn in order to learn vocabulary at any any echelon of education or in any arena uh, within our within our journey, whether it's education or professional. Um, but we look at kind of um, working through these dilemmas and we look at quotes, we look at, at historical figures that embody people that we look up to. Because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fuel that fire and fan that flame of this is what you're capable of being. We look at the failures of some of the most historically significant characters in our, you know, in our world, and we point out that failure is not final for them. Nope, nope. And it's and it's 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 not defining for them because it's all a step in another direction. I had a I had a student this last week. He they uh, uh, two students were working together and they chose Thomas Edison for the character corner. And one of the quotes they use is a famous one of, "I didn't find, uh, or I found ten thousand ways that didn't work." Right. And it was, it was, yeah, it was very uh, poetic in the sense of, I was telling my, my students, I was like, guys, this is something that we can all take away from. How defeated would you be if you failed at something or didn't achieve something 10,000 times in a row? It'd be crushing. I said, it, I get frustrated if I run into two stoplights in a row. Yep, yep. And yet the people that we aspire to be like are the people that we uh, look up to experience more failure than we'll ever probably have, but it didn't deter them. And that's the, that's, the, that's the skill that we can take away and apply to ourselves so that we can move forward. And then we label them, then put the label on of capable, of somebody that's empowered, of somebody that has, is able to do something. Yeah, no, I, uh, I use, uh, so when I have kids in my office, uh, one of the quotes that I love to tell them, and it's, it's a Ryan Scott quote is, uh, mistakes refine, not define you. Um, mm. That the only way, really, um, any way, the only way that you learn is by making a mistake. Um, and, and mistakes aren't going to define who you are um, if you let it. Um, so Trevor, okay, as we start to wind us down, wind this episode down, I want you to give me, so if you were to give your, you know, the big Ed idea um kind of like you know if it was in lights uh like a show title um what would that idea be i had a company commander say this one time and he said words have meaning and i think Beautiful. by that he meant what you say matters therefore 
what we say to students and also equally as important, how we say it to That's students right. That's right. matters. And then I, the challenge with that is, is what you're saying and how you're talking to students and the people in your life, is that uplifting and encouraging them or is it putting them down? And I think that's one of the most important things that we can do is to breathe life into people around us. And I think to bring a full circle, if you were to watch Ted Lasso, or sorry, when you're to watch <laughs> Ted Lasso, you will understand the transformational experience of giving gifts. Excellent. Absolutely. <sighs> Okay, so we started this by talking about labels, and we are ending this by talking about labels. Um, you know, we talked about teachers, um, or well, not even teachers, just just people that that our students interact with on a daily day to day basis. Um, they receive labels from adults, other students, and what you are telling me, Trevor, is that those labels can be good, they can be bad. But as educators, we really, really, really need to be focusing on what are those good labels that we can get our students to believe about themselves. Would that be um, sufficient to say? Sowing the seeds. Yes, brother. All right, man. All right, Trevor. Um, as I love to do, I love to connect folks um, because, you know, we talked about this before. Um, anybody that's listened to this before, um, connections are like at the root of everything. Um, like literally like atoms, um, all the way down to the atomic um, elements, the protons and the electrons, like it's all about connections. So Trevor, if somebody is out there and they are listening and they want to um, pick your brain or maybe uh, they just want to talk about this idea um, that words have meaning, um, how can they get a hold of you? What's the best way? Sure. I would say I'm, I'm probably most active in that, in that realm on Twitter. Yep. Just my name, Trevor Timmerberg. And I think my handle is at Trevor underscore T Berg, B E R G. Okay. Um, like I said, my, my last name's a, a, a mouthful, but yeah, I would love to connect on there. I find uh, immense sources of inspiration through there. I'm a huge podcast uh, fanatic in consumption, and I and I'm really enjoying the opportunity to have this this conversation. I uh, I feel honored and both honored and privileged to be able to uh, get a chance to chat with you on a Sunday evening. This has been awesome. Well, I appreciate that, man. Um, so I don't know um, if you've ever seen this one, but also um, I am with a group of guys, and we do what's called Unlock the Middle, um, and we have a video cast that we do about every other day and it's called the ap roundtable um, we do it every other week on tuesday nights and it's with aj bianco um, and mike laval those are ap's from out uh, let's see mike is from the boston area aj is from new jersey um, and we have ap's from around the country on and we talk for about 30 minutes just about ap stuff um, ap is a is a definitely like like it is a sweet spot for me in education. Mm. Like, like I love being an AP. Um, you know, I, obviously I have aspirations to be a principal again, but AP is a wonderful position, but it's very specific about what you do during the day. And so we try to get folks on just to talk about that role. So um, I would love to have you on that show as well. Um, get another Kentucky yeah, dude. Please, yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll reach out to you about that. AJ, if you're listening, Mike, if you're listening, we're going to get uh, Trevor on sometime um trevor as i i guess sign us off i just want to like i said thank you very very much for devoting um your time to me um good luck this week um you're going to change the world i, I you know I, I i know that you're going to have some wonderful conversations with uh, your students this week um look for those god winks my friend because they are there every single mm. day um just thank you man thank you very much well, you're an inspiration, my brother. So I, uh, I greatly appreciate it. I, I really have a ton of gratitude for you hosting this, uh, these conversations on this platform from a personal standpoint, because I get to, uh, on a weekly basis, I get that little, little uh, burst of inspiration. So 
I'm thankful as well. And uh, I loved connecting. And I really hope to, uh, to connect again with you and, uh, and Mike and AJ. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you, in November, my wife and I will be coming to Louisville. We're going to be watching um, a little band called Shovels and Rope. They are going to be performing at the Old Forester Hall. And so we're going to be sure. there. I think it's the end of November, and then we are um, staying at the golf house. So I might hit you up. Um, maybe we can Please. sit down for a beer or, um, you know, it is Kentucky, so some bourbon, and um, we can chew the fat in person. That'd be awesome. Let's do it, man. Okay, okay. Well, my friend, I'm going to close this like I love to do, and I've got another quote on dreaming. Dreams are reality waiting to happen. And so with that, for my Big Ed Idea listeners, um, once again, from the bottom of my heart, I love you. I thank you. I value you. Thank you so very much. Um, please take a second and uh, give me some feedback. Let me know what you liked, maybe what I can do better, because um, we are quickly closing in on episode 50, um, where we get to actually where I get to um, interview my man crush, Hamish Brewer so stinking excited about that when he's coming up quickly and so like i said thank you very much and uh in the words of the immortal john janowski i will see you in the funny paper Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper.